0: Uh, But a good opportunity. It's time to work out. Uh, We began this study, uh, again, in the book of Philippians. We're going through the book of Philippians. And and, and it was just timely when we got to this section of Scripture that we highlight this, we hit this. Uh, I'm not going to go through uh, every slide. I will recap them as we look at the Word of God this morning. But to sort of get us all on the same page, here's what I'd like to ask you to do. We're going to back it up in our reading. And so I want us to go all the way back to chapter 2, verse 1, so that we can get the context of what is happening here in this letter from Paul to the church at Philippi. Paul's in jail. Okay? How many of you got friends in jail? No, <laughs> I'm uh, Anyway, I, I, um, Paul's in jail. And he's writing this letter. Now, he's in jail because he's sharing the gospel. He's sharing the good news. Do you realize? It may be sooner than we realize, guys. It may be sooner than we realize. Some of us in our lifetime may find ourselves facing jail time for simply sharing the gospel. It's a possibility. Even more so for my children, for your grandchildren. We need to understand this hard attitude Paul has for the dark days ahead. But God's grace is sufficient. So Paul's writing from prison. Look what he says to the church at Philippi, those believers in this town of Philippi. Chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, If any affection and mercy fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you... Look out, not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man." He humbled Himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, I ask that your word would do exactly what you have said it would do that it would not return void, that it would accomplish the task in which it's sent out to do. And Lord, that task is that we might know you, that we might make you known, that we might be complete, and that our joy might be made complete in Christ. Christ is our only answer. Christ is our only hope. Lord, our our answers to life are not found in life. It's actually found in death. The death of the cross of our Savior, Jesus Christ, is found in death to self and the flesh. But Lord, we find hope in Christ because He is the way, He is the truth, and He is the life. And no one can come to the Father except through Him. May Jesus be lifted high here today. May our hearts be drawn closer to him and closer to each other as a result. Lord, give us what we need this day, our daily bread, so we can live as lights in a very dark day. In Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul has been writing to encourage And again, as we've mentioned, the book of Philippians uh, is the book that's the most joyful book in in, in all of Scripture. Some have have phrased it as such. And yet, when you look at the circumstances of their day, and you look at the problems that they're facing, you kind of scratch your head. But I'm thankful for this little book, and I'm thankful that God has us in this book, in this season of our life. You know, God's a God of, of the sovereign seasons, Nothing escapes Him. He's the one who turns the page to a new chapter. It's all under His watch care. There is nothing going on in your life or in this world that escapes Him. And if He's allowing these things to happen, there's two things we can know for certain based upon the authority of God. Two things for certain we can know. It's for His glory, and if it's for His glory, it's for our good. Now, I didn't say things that happened in your life and my life are good in the sense of we have folks here in our midst who who have lost loved ones. And they would say, how's that good? I miss them. Sure you do. We have those in our midst today who who have loved ones who, who are hanging on to life. And they think, man, in these circumstances, how's that How's that good? And I don't stand here and pretend to know God's ultimate plan in every little detail in your situations and circumstances. Those mysteries belong to God. But knowing the character of God, knowing who God is, knowing the Word of God, we can weather these storms of life trusting in confidence in Him. You know, oftentimes, I've used the illustration here, it's like a piece of puzzle, and and again, with... Four kids in your house growing up when they were little, man, puzzle pieces were everywhere. I don't know how many vacuum cleaners we broke because we suck up, you know, pfft, ah, another piece of puzzle. Now it's Lego and it's been for a while, but those little pieces of puzzle. And that one little piece, you look at that one little piece and you think, man, this is, this is just, what is this? It's, it's black, it's, I don't know where this goes. How does this even fit? But when it's in its rightful place, and you can step back and see the completed picture, oh, that's a beautiful masterpiece. That, it makes sense. I see now how that piece fits. And guys, we look at what's going on in our world today, and we look at the news, and we see things happening, and in your life and in your circumstances, and sometimes we look at this little piece in the moment, in the now, and we say, God, how does this work? How does this fit? I don't get it. I don't understand. Again, He has a master plan, and those pieces fit. And when we have the view one day from His perspective, when one day we have departed from this world for those who belong to Christ, and if you're here today and you do not belong to Christ, my my begging and my pleading is that today before you leave here, you surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. He offers you a gift of salvation. He wants to rescue you and redeem you from a dark and dismal world. He wants to rescue you from death and transports you from darkness into light, from death into life. And there's only one way to get there, and it's through the cross of Calvary. But Jesus offers that. But one day we'll have that view. We'll be able to see with the eyes of God and understand that's how those pieces fit. All things work together for good for those who love God, who are called according to His purpose. There's a purpose in our pain. There's a purpose in the moment that we're facing. And right now in our country, we need a message from Philippians. We need a reminder to all of us as believers that there is hope for us and that our purpose is still the same. That purpose has not changed. Your mission, my mission as followers of Jesus Christ has not been shaken, it has not been debunked, it's not off track, it's right on path and it's right on time because it's His plan and it's His time. You and I need to remind ourselves this, and we need to encourage each other. When we look at our country today and we see the division in our country and we see the split, we see that this, this house divided. How can a house stand that's divided against itself? It cannot. And it's not a coincidence that we begin the book of Philippians way back when, and we find ourselves in the chapters and the sections of scripture that we find that deal with unity when our country's coming unglued. And it's a reminder to us, church, that we had best not come unglued. We had best not let the things of this world and the cares of our own desire and motivation separate us from each other. Paul knew this could be a potential harm in the church at Philippine. So one of the things he wants to write to encourage them so that they can remain joyful no matter what their circumstances are is to understand the example of Christ, to understand the unity and how important it is as followers of Christ And the way that you and I can unify in a dividing world is to understand the humility of Christ. And so this section, and the reason why I wanted to read chapter 2 as we move forward because we needed to understand these things. We needed to be reminded of these things. Paul knew this, that we needed to be reminded of salvation. And you remember uh, we were talking about the outline for this section, and we talked in in, in section uh, verses 12 and 13, we talked about salvation. We talked about the obedience to the faith. Paul was saying, hey, look, whether I'm present or whether I'm absent, you need to obey the Word of God. You need to trust it. He also talked about the ownership of the faith. And that's where that little section says, work out. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, again, for those of you who weren't here last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message. That doesn't mean you work for salvation. No, it says, work out. That implies it's been worked in. We have a responsibility. The ownership of the faith work out. That's your responsibility. And we should do so before a holy God with fear and trembling. Guys, there is a real God who will bring an account to this world. Every wrong will be made right. Those things that have been done in secret will be brought to light. There is a day of reckoning. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times in my life, and trust me, as a pastor, there are many times that my heart is pained. And oftentimes it's pained at the very ones that I love. And oftentimes my wife and I will have to remind ourselves and remind our family that we have to commit to Him who judges rightly. Oftentimes our struggles and our problems in life with each other is because of misunderstanding, miscommunication. We don't know what's going on in each other's. We don't see the big picture. We don't have all the parts. Too oftentimes that is what leads to some of the strife amongst us. And so in those moments when we're hurt, we're wounded, where you feel like you, you, you're justified in your anger, or you're justified in, your, in, in, in this situation. Sometimes, guys, we have to just surrender that to God and say, He knows. He knows. And in so doing, we take ownership of the faith. We, we recognize our responsibility is to work out that salvation that's been worked in. And, and so he gives this example of Christ who's he's God. He is God and he came in the form of man and allowed man to do the things they did to him. He was persecuted. He was beaten. He was stricken. He was stripped of his clothes and whipped. He was nailed to a cross even his own disciples wanted to stand up and fight. And he said, no, that's not the way my kingdom works. <laughs> Don't you know? If I wanted to fight, I could call 10,000 angels. Boom, it's done. I could speak and they'll <laughs> decimate. One day he will speak and make it right. He came as a lamb the first time. He's coming as a lion the next time. Guys, commit to him who judges rightly. It's not my place or your place. The, the, the Man... Um, does not bring about the righteousness of God in this. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, thus saith the Lord. Right? We know there's a lot of things that happen in this world that that, that may, in, in our eyes, and rightfully so, be wrong, and we should call wrong, wrong. We knew that the Scriptures told us there's coming a day when people will call evil good and good evil. And man, if there's ever been a day, that day is now. We look at the world around us and there is a lot of wicked and evil things happening in this world. And the world is calling it good. It should not catch us off guard. We've been told it's coming. How much more now, church, must we obey whether absent or present, Paul said. And I think again, with Christ, He's not physically present yet. He's coming. But He's present in the Holy Spirit within all of us as believers. We must obey. We must take ownership in that salvation. God provides the salvation. You don't earn salvation. We don't get to heaven by our bootstraps. We can't pull ourselves up. We can't be good enough. You can't do enough. That's not what... You can't work anything to earn standing with God. But you want to hear the good news? You don't have to. He's already done it for you. That's why He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. To pay for your sins, for my sins, because He knew we could never do anything with our sin but sin. We're sinners. All have sinned. All of us. Don't think anybody in this church is any better than you or worse than you. We're all sinners. we got the same problem. And the heart of man is wicked. You realize that... that the same evil heart that, that was in Hitler, the same evil heart that was in Hitler is in you and me. You and I have the same capacity to do the same wicked evil deeds of the most evil man or woman that's ever walked this earth. You and I have that same ability in nature. That's the fallen nature. That's the depravity of man from the curse, that death, that sin is passed to all men. And that's why we need a Savior. And religion is man trying to do things to get to God. Religion is me and you trying to make attempts to better ourselves in the standing in the eyes of God. And we will never make ourselves better in the eyes of God. Our good deeds are filthy rags in the eyes of God. So God knew we can't reach Him, but He can sure reach us. And He did. He reached down into this world in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. God took on the form of a man. And He emptied Himself in the sense that He stepped into this world and he chose to submit to the will of the Father. Oh Lord, it, it, Father, it, it, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Emotionally, humanly speaking, he knew the cruel cross was coming. And humanly speaking, he, his body didn't want to go through that. He was tired, he was hungry. He knew pain would be excruciating, especially with the weight of the world, the sins of the world upon him. Nevertheless, not my will be done, thy will be done. And, guys, Paul gives us this example and he gives this to the church at Philippi because he wants us to understand the gift of God has been provided for you. You, as if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been born again, the Spirit of God dwells within you, but He expects you to work out your salvation. It's been worked in, it's a free gift. If you've received that gift, use it. That, that, that's Jeremy's summary of it. All right? If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you've been born again. Then live that out. And so what he says here in this salvation, that we have this ownership of faith, we're to work out, that's your responsibility with fear and trembling. And then last week we talked about how he worked in. That's God's responsibility to will and to do of his good pleasure. It's ultimately all for his will, guys. It's for his good pleasure. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. One day this will all be history. But it's always going to be his story. Because it's his story. It's not mine, it's not yours. It's his, and to God be the glory. And so that brings us to this point of sanctification. Look, if you would, in verses 14 to 16. And this is where we begin today. He says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fall in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You see, this is God's plan. It's not my plan. It's not your plan. This is God's reminder to us. Paul is saying to this church, Hey guys, got got some things to tell you now. Uh, Salvation, we talked about last time, three parts... Salvation comes in three parts. What I mean by that, I mean that at the moment you believe, you put your faith and trust, you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's like a judge dropping that gavel. Boom! Not guilty. When you repent of your sin and put your faith, put your trust, not in your good works, not into going to church more, not in doing better, not baking cookies for the neighbors, none of that, those are great things, but none of those things are going to get you right with God. Only thing that's going to get you right with God? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. His death on your behalf, His burial, and His resurrection. Because Christ alone can pay for it. And He did. And Now He makes you an offer. Sweetest offer ever made. Whosoever will. Let Him come. Hey, if you come to me, I won't cast you out. I'm not going to turn you away. If you look to me and say, God, I want to be saved. I want to be redeemed. I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to know you. I want you to know me. He says, I'm not going to turn you away so if you feel the draw of God, if you feel the pull of God on your heart, you feel the need to turn to Him and cry out for help and salvation, hear and obey the voice of God and surrender. Give your life to Him today. So that's justification. You're justified at the cross the moment you believe. But then we begin the process of sanctification. And then, of course, one day when Christ returns or we die and go to be with Him, we'll experience glorification. The consummation of our salvation, it's done, it's behind us. And so Paul is reminding these folks, he said, look, this is God's plan. Let me remind you of God's plan. Salvation, he worked it in, you work it out. Sanctification, this is the process you and I are in. We're a big block, all right? We're a big block of rock. Some of us are a little harder than others, all right? Some of us are a little uglier than others. Good point. He's chipping away at those rough spots, all right? All right? He's chipping away at us, making us more and more into the image of His Son. Hey, that's progress, guys. That's that's a work. Can I just remind you we're all a work in progress? We're all a work in progress. Don't don't get mad at me because I ain't arrived yet. All right? I won't get mad at you because you ain't arrived yet. You see how this thing works? We want some unity. We need to get this out of the way from the beginning. You ain't perfect, and I ain't perfect. You got flaws, I got flaws. If I look at your flaws, trust me, I'm going to be very disappointed. Guess what? You look at my flaws, you're going to be sorely disappointed. But you know who, if you and I both look at, that's going to help us all encourage each other, is laying our eyes on Christ. Because then that helps me overlook those flaws that just... And it's going to help you overlook my flaws that, because we recognize, man, we're imperfect people and we need each other. You know, that's the beauty of I love sports, man. I, I do. I do. You guys know that. And, I, you know, look, don't hate the game, all right? Hate the politics, but don't hate the game. I, I like football. There's a beauty. There's an art in football. I mean, it really is. I mean, when you just think about this game, it's, there's some beauty about this game and how it works. But one of the things that I love about the game of football is you've got a team, man. You've got a team in order to accomplish the goals, in order to get things done to win. You've got to have team effort. And I'm telling you, the teams that win the Super Bowl are usually those teams that are cohesive. Man, they almost read each other's thoughts, man. They, you know, they know where to be on this route and this pattern. The defense knows what's coming. I mean, they work. this is a beautiful thing. And you look at these other teams that have fighting and strife and they got all these prima donnas and divas, you know, and, and, and it's just like, man, that's sick. Nobody even wants to watch that team. I ain't going to name who just came to mind. But anyway, <laughs> what team came to mind? It might be yours. It might be mine. But when you see them working together in unity, man, that's, that's, that's a good thing. Guys, we're much like that. Look, Scripture tells us, this, 1 Corinthians says, each one of you in the body of Christ, you have been given a spiritual gift. If you're born again... You have a gift deposited within you from God. Now, you can look at the parable of the talents. One guy buries his talent because he thinks, man, I don't want to mess this up. God going to get me. I, my master going to get me if I don't do, use this talent. So I'm just going to bury it because he's kind of harsh. And there's another guy he invests his. Another guy invests even more. And, and, and so then when, of course, the master comes back, the guy who buried his... <coughs> He got dealt with, and the others actually got his. I mean, what What is this? Again, some of us have been invested with a spiritual gift, and we're burying it. We're not using it. God saved you to serve. He saved you to work on the team. He saved us to do things together in concert for His glory, which is for our good. And I want to encourage you in 2021, if you haven't found a place to plug in your spiritual gift, find it. Okay? Ask one of the assistant coaches or the coach, right? You know, ask, where, where do I fit? What's my, you know, what's my route? What do I need to do? You know, get involved. Try things. A lot of times, you know, when I was first, I remember when I was first playing football as a young kid. And I didn't know where, you know, so coach said, all right, we're going to try you in all kinds of positions. And so, man, I, I, I pretty much, you know, tried everything from defense to offense until I found my niche. Until I found, oh, yeah, this is where I fit on the team. This is where I belong. And sometimes, guys, that's what you're going to have to do to find out where you fit. And don't, listen, let me just say what you don't do. Oh, I'm not gonna do that. Cause that's probably where God's gonna put you. Oh, believe me, my wife and I, we know we were gonna have one kid. <laughs> my wife and I, we're never gonna homeschool. We know how those homeschool kids are. My kids will never be doing this garbage. Be careful what you say. God has a way of humbling us and saying, ah, that's your plan, but I got another plan. Right? So again, work out that which God has worked in. And the way we need to do it, we need to find out where we fit in God's plan, where we fit in God's team, because I know you fit somewhere. He's given you a spiritual gift. So find where you you can use that spiritual gift on the team of God so we can put this into play. This is, is, again, God's plan and sanctification. He desires to develop us. He wants to develop us. Look if you again, he gives us some instruction in this sanctification, in developing us. He says, do all things without complaining or disputing. Now is, we hit on this last week. And I want us to kind of rest here for a moment. we got a lot of complaining and disputing in the world today, do we not? So church, I think God has a message for us in this moment. Lord, help us hear that message. Help us heed that message. This word here used for complaining... It's muttering. It's it's kind. It's one of these words in the Greek that it, we. Let me give you some English words that might help understand it. Boom! You see that word kind of sounds like what it does, right? Crack, right? And some of those words you kind of. Oh, that's got a, this word here complaining in the original language. It, it, it muttering. You know, you thinking of, And you know, people. You know, it's like those Muppets, right? You remember those old men that sit up in the little? Yeah. You know, He said, look, do all things without that. Don't be that guy. Don't be that girl. And he says, do all things without disputing. Uh, The idea here again, grumbling. Man, we are some complainers, aren't we? In America, we are complainers. We've been so abundantly blessed that we have lost our way. I mean, we do. Many of us remember back in our childhood some of the... I mean, you know, let's, let's, just, let's just go down memory lane. Some of you go a lot further. Some of you keep going, I'm not sure we'll get you back. But anyway, <laughs> we, we remember fans, big floor fans. You know, no air conditioning. You kids don't know what you got. You heard that kind of stuff, right? Sleeping in front of the big fan in summertime because, man, I couldn't stand it was so hot in the house. Three channels, TV. Three channels. That's all you got. NBC, CBS, and ABC. Oh, and then there come one of those pirating kind of guys that, you know, you, Oh look, I'm getting a 42, channel 40. What's that? I've never seen that before. And we knew you were progressing then. Son, go out there and turn the antenna. Shh. You kids have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> Hold it right there. Oh, no, go back, go back. Ah, ah. Meanwhile, it's thundering and lightning. Dad don't care. (laughs) He just wants to be happy because mama needs to watch Solid Gold. (laughs) I mean, you know. And we are so blessed in this country, and there's so much that we grumble and we complain against because we've kind of forgotten. Guys, we are richly blessed in Jesus Christ. This world's not our home, the things of this world. Lord, help us to be mindful of this. You see, God has a a purpose. His plan, He he wants us to do these things without complaining, without muttering and and disputing and grumbling. But God also, He has a purpose. He has a reason. God's reminder, God's reason, God's plan, God's purpose. Not only is to develop us, but it's also to display us. Notice what the text says. He wants to display us. Look here again, back into the Word of God, verse 15. Why should we do these things without complaining and grumbling? Because see, that's what the world does. Again, turn on your news. That's what the world's doing right now. But he's saying to us, church, Christian, here's our response when the world's doing that. Here's my response and your response, verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. He wants to display us. This word right here, become, notice there, you may want to circle that word when it says that you may become. Again, this is that sanctification process. You and I have not arrived yet. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. That's the old man and the old way of doing things. Them's fighting words, right? My old way of doing things, grumbling, complaining, not content with the situation, not happy about this. The old way. Behold, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are, here's the word, becoming new. This word become, it indicates a process. You see, sanctification is a process. And so God's purpose for you and me, and the reason why He wants us to uh He wants to develop us and and do these things without complaining and and murmuring and, and, and disputing and grumbling. It's for God's purpose, for His reason, because He wants to display us. He wants us to become blameless and He wants us to be harmless. Blameless and harmless. Blameless describes a life that cannot be criticized because of sin or evil. You see, it doesn't help our testimony and our witness if there's a known sin that's being practiced in your life as a believer. Because, see, that gives the enemy fuel to attack. You see, that gives the enemy a chance to slander, and he's a slanderer. He tries to tear down your name day and night. He accuses the brethren before God. <laughs> yeah, look, there's one of your children. Look what they're doing right there. And see, the sanctification process is that we would lay aside those things and that we would put on the new man in his new way of living. And we begin the process of allowing God, not my self-effort, but allowing God to work in that salvation and help me work out that salvation through obedient faith. God says, I'm to no longer drinking corrals. That convicted my heart as a young believer because my life was about drinking, carousing, and the revelry. That was my life. Can I tell you something from a sinner's heart that that became pretty cool to understand and see this? As an unsaved man and a natural man, I went to church. It was called the bar. I went to clubs. That That was where we worshiped. Now, I didn't see it that way then, but in hindsight, I see it. You see, I went there because I longed for that celebration. I longed for that fellowship, that that getting together with friends. And I had friends there that cared for me and I cared for them. You know, oftentimes the preacher was the bartender giving me counsel. We'd sit there and talk about things and he'd listen and we'd talk. I'm just telling you who I was. This is who I was. This is where I went to service. Man, I went a lot, too. (laughs) More Anyway. (laughs) But when God got a hold of my heart and life and I surrendered, I recognized that He was beginning a new work in me. And I didn't understand. I still don't always completely understand it. But I know there was a new heartbeat for the things of God. I didn't have this desire before. Now I actually think, I think I'm going to go check out these cats over here. And I remember at first, man, feeling so out of place with you guys. I'm not talking about here community, but I'm talking you guys as Christians. I remember going into church thinking, oh, man, I don't belong here. And Satan was giving me that garbage. Yeah, you're right, you don't belong here. You need to get out. These people are better than you, man. They know what you did last night. Those are lies, guys. Those are lies of the devil. Don't get thee behind me, Satan. But that's part of that wrestling. That's part of that sanctification. I've got to understand what God says about me. And God is saying to me now, Jeremy, that old's passing away. Behold, all things are becoming new. You're in a process. Just let me have process in your heart and life. Just let me lead you. Let me work this in you and let me work this through you. And so I surrender my will. Not my will be done, thy will be done. And I surrender that will. And he begins to chip away. And he begins to chip away. And he still does that, guys, throughout our process because we are in process. And his desire is that we would be blameless and harmless. And so as a believer, I recognize I need to be careful in guarding my testimony that I'm not participating in things that are known sin. i got to give that up. You always have mud thrown at you. That's not going to change. People are people. There's always going to be people who find faults in you. The question is, does the mud stick? And a lot of times in life, look, Jesus himself was wrongly accused, right? When they put him on trial in the middle of the night, they lied about him. Now, some were paid to come in and lie. I believe some were just simply deceived. Perception's a funny thing. We need to be careful. It doesn't matter who you are, accusations will always come. The question is will they stick? And so we're to commit this to God. And so if there's active sin in my life, if there's known evil that I'm practicing, and you know and God knows, you better lay that aside. Lay it down. Trust God. Just simply trust God. Well, I don't know how to do this. I don't know. You don't have to do it. It's done. Just surrender. Give it up to God and begin to meet with Him and let Him transform you. Allow His grace to work in you and through you to help you become a new person. By the way, guys, that happens until you get to glory. Because I promise you, on that journey, you and I trip. You and I fall. That's why we need each other. Because when when Dean falls, I don't go, Yeah! Who's down now? No, you don't do that. That'd be foolish, right? Sorry, Dean, I didn't really do that. (laughs) Dean falls, I go, Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Come on, man. It's all right. It's all right, buddy. It's all right. I'm here with you. I'm here for you. Let's keep going. Right? That's what brothers do. That's what sisters in Christ do. This is what we do. God has called us in that manner. And so Paul is wanting to encourage these people at Philippi to recognize the importance of us. If we're going to have joy, if we're going to navigate this sinful, dark world, we're going to have to do so together. And we're going to have to do so in obedient faith taking ownership of our faith, working out, which is our responsibility, that which He's worked in, which is God's responsibility to to will and to do for His good pleasure. Because the sanctification that's taking place, God's plan, His reminder, is, is to develop us so that we do all these things that we're doing in life without the complaining, without the disputing, because it's God's purpose. His reason for doing it is to display us that we would become blameless and harmless. He also wants to... Distinguish us. Notice it says that this is one of the other reasons why he wants us to do what we do without complaining and disputing. Because he wants to um, distinguish us. He calls us children of God. Children of God without fault. All right? Without fault, again, because of who Christ is. But he says, uh, notice this word, uh, deviated. Okay? It's the word crooked there in your text. He wants to distinguish us as children of God without fault because we live in, a, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Boy, that's true, isn't it? I mean, have you ever been in a day when there was such um, crooked stuff going on? By the way, this word right here, uh, crooked, it's where we get our English word for scoliosis, the curvature of the spine, right? And so, when you think about a spine, it, it, it's curved, and when a scoliosis is in play, and that's that's not the norm. And so, uh, Paul is using this word. He says, "Look." Uh, You've got to be separated. You've got to be different than this world because his desire is that we would be blameless and harmless. We are children of God. So therefore don't don't let these accusations stick. Don't be like the crooked generation. All right? If you own a business or you're participating in a business, you know, we are to do things above reproach. We're not to do things in a crooked manner, right? And so uh, he encourages us this. He also says, he uses this word, notice the next one. He said, crooked and perverse, uh, distorted. We live in a, wor- a world where things are distorted, we live in a perverse world. Uh, by the way, this word here is in the perfect tense. Okay, What does that mean? It's in the perfect tense. Well, it means when you, when you have a perfect tense, and specifically here in this, in this text, it's indicating that it's in perfect tense from something, an action that took place in the past that's continuing still till today and continuing forward. And so what's he saying? He's saying this. He said, look, this sin that began in the garden in the fall, it continues till today. The world is growing worse and worse. It's waxing worse and worse through sin. It's not getting better. It, it, scripture compares it to birthing pains, which, hey, a little timeout time out here, Bo. Uh, birthing pains. Just saw a beautiful baby, Miss Rhonda, the other, other day. She's got a grandbaby. Whoo, little Mitchell. Shout out to Kyle and Brittany. Um, man, Varners love babies, as if you couldn't tell. Uh, COVID though, man, has got me messed up because we're used, I was telling Ronnie, we well, are used to going in and just holding a baby and getting the pictures and the selfies and because I mean, we just love babies. Um, but anyway, keep praying for them and, and we got one on the way, one in the oven over here. All right, let's keep it on simmer. <laughs> anyway, anybody else bring on the babies. All right, here we go. We live in a world, Scripture describes it like this. We have birthing pains. Now, when you're birthing a child, typically, unless you're uh, uh, Rebecca Stugelmeyer, she has one pain, boom, baby's out. But anyway, normally that's not how it happens. (laughs) Normally it's contractions, right? And what happens, ladies, who've birthed some babies? Yeah, memory lane there. It, It gets closer and closer and closer, and it's getting closer and closer when the baby's getting ready to arrive. That's what God describes the world as. It's getting worse in sin. Worse, 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 worse in the sense of it's more rampant. It's coming closer together. It's coming closer together. That's what I'm describing, right? The birthing pain is still a birthing pain. Sin is still sin. Lest of the eyes, less of the flesh, pride of life. It hasn't changed since sin came into the world. But now we're seeing it ramped up. Those birthing pains are getting closer and closer and closer. Why? Because Christ is getting ready to return. Amen? Delivery is on its way. And so, Paul says, look, we need to be sanctified. We're children of God. Guys, I hope this message will will find resident in our heart because we need this message desperately. We are in a crooked and perverse world. And it's not going to come by by slicing off uh, Malchus' ear. I got that name wrong, but anyway, don't check me. Um, there's fact checkers. <laughs> They'll get us. We're not going to get there that way. God's told us that. And so, what does he say? He says, look, church, be different. It's a perverse, dark world. It's distorted. And what this is, again, we see the character of God. The character of God. That's what we need to be thinking about. Notice, again, he says that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. See, Paul is wanting us to understand the character of God so that that character could be developed in us, that it might be displayed through us, that it will distinguish us apart and separate from the world. Among whom you have to shine as lights. That's That's the way that's probably better translated. Among whom, the world, the perverse and crooked world, you have to shine as lights. see, guys, if you're not shining as lights, if our light is dimmed in this dark world, there's no hope. If you and I participate just like the world, then they have no example to look to. They have no light to light their path. There is no distinction between you and them. And so Paul is reminding us of this. In a crooked and perverse generation, we need to shine as lights. We must shine his lights. Some of you will know a couple of weeks back, the Christmas star was out. Anybody see that? Anybody go out and take a look at that? How many of y'all checked that out? Alright, awesome. I hope you were a little more enthusiastic about it that night than you were right now. <laughs> yeah, and we seen it, big deal. Anyway, I love you. Stop complaining, Jeremy. <laughs> we went out, took our family out here in the field and, and you know, we were trying to find it. And, and uh, y- you know, Again, something about when those planets lined up and that, you know, they called it the Christmas star. But again, when you think about those, those stars that shine in the night, uh, most of you know, my unsaved days, I, was, I worked on a cruise ship. And one of the things that uh, our little department, it was called Voyages of Discovery. And, and so we would do these, we called them edutainment for families. And, and uh, of course, y'all know my character was Pirate Pete with a smelly feet. And, uh, but we'd interact with the kids and the families and do these theater and song and, yeah you know, anyway. But one of the things that we would do was take them up onto the top of the ship and we would do stargazing on certain nights. And we'd give them a little chart and they could turn this little wheel and find this night sky based on the month, the year, and they'd turn it to, the, you know, that date. And they could see and, uh, and look up in the sky and lay on these, these um, lounge chairs and look up. And, man, you have not seen the sky until you're out in the middle of the ocean, and the, they would call down to, the, to the, off, uh, the officer's deck there, and the captain would kill the top lights. So any of the lights that were above us, he would cut them off. And that sky just came alive. I'm telling you, you have not seen a sky. Until, it's clusters. It's not like you go out here and you see one or two. I mean, it's like, it, 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 it looks like my face as a teenager. I mean, it was just... No, uh, that's not the image I wanted. Let's. All right. Sorry about that. No, it was definitely, not. but it was so clustered. I mean, all these stars are so close together, but it, it truly was radiant. It, it just it glowed. It was beautiful. It was. And you would take this in in awe. Paul is giving this example here, that I think. I've used this illustration here before. When you go to get your sweetie that diamond, what does the diamond dealer do? He'll take out that little black felt backdrop, right? And why does he do that? It's to show that contrast. Because when he sets that gem against that back dark drop, man, it pops, it shines, it's glorious. Paul is saying this about you and me. This is a dark world. That backdrop. His desire is that we, church, as a cluster, would shine brilliantly in that dark background. The background of the culture of sin, of crookedness and perverseness. You and I are called to shine as lights. We must shine as lights. And so... This is what he speaks of in sanctification. We see also not only God's plan, His reminder. We see God's purpose, His reason. We also see God's provision through relationship. And the idea here, uh, again, if you notice in the text, that that He would put us on display, that we would, uh, and even in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Holding fast the word of life. You see, not only does God in His plan want to develop us, not only in God's purpose does He want to display us, also in God's provision He wants to direct us. He wants us to hold fast... Now, a lot of times in, in our theme here, holding forth the word of life, we've heard you know this phrase, the idea here, hold fast, it's, it's to take something and put it out, to put it forward, to offer it as in extending a gift, if you will. To hold forth, to hold fast. And, and so you and I have, by faith, received Christ. In our mission, church, if we're going to display in this world and be distinguished and shine, we need to hold forth that word of life. It's our responsibility to offer that hope to a dark and dying world. The believer offers something for others to take. It's the idea of holding it out. Are you holding out the gospel? When's the last time you've held out the gospel to someone? You know, their their marriage is falling apart. Have you held out the gospel? You know, they're struggling with alcohol or addiction. Have you held out the gospel to them? There's hate, there's bitterness, there's strife. Boy, there's plenty of that in the world today. Maybe we should hold out the gospel to them. Believer, this is our calling. And Community Baptist Church, if our light is to shine in this community, then we must be united in our purpose, which is the gospel. Don't lose the full context of what Paul's been telling us in this book study. You want to have joy in your life? It starts by us being that cluster, unified, separated apart from the world, distinguished and developed, and allow that salvation that's been worked in to be worked out, and that that sanctification process would calls us to recognize God's provision, a relationship with Him through Jesus Christ. And so we must develop that relationship just like we must develop relationships with one another. That's why when you're in a family, in your own immediate family, it takes a lot to walk out on your family because you love each other in spite of the differences. And, and, and that's, again, Paul is wanting the subject of unity to be displayed here. And so he says, look, the way we do this, the gospel. You and I are getting what we didn't deserve. We, de- we deserve judgment, but we got grace. If a holy God can forgive me a sinful man, how can me a sinful man not forgive another sinful man? And so love covers a multitude of sins so we hold it out. Sanctification. He also wants to delight us. Notice what, what it says here. So he not only in his provision wants to direct us, he also wants to delight us. Uh, he says, Paul says, look, among whom you shine his lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. That I've not run in vain or labored in vain. not run in vain. I think one of the most tragic things church we could face is that one day when we stand before a holy God and we realize, you know what? Everything I put my life into was vanity. In the end, it was hay, wood, and stubble. In the judgment seat of Christ, it was kind of burnt up. Now, I'm not talking about loss of salvation. I'm talking about loss of rewards for believers. Okay? to know that we ran in vain, to know that our labor was in vain. And and look, guys, this is both ways. Just because you're involved in a lot of church ministry, that could be pharisaical, that could be legalistic, that could be just doing because you think you're earning favor or grace with God. Guess what? You're not. I, I want you here because you want to be here. I want you here because you love the Lord and you want to serve the Lord. I don't want you here because of anyone's expectation apart from His. And God has given us His instruction not to forsake this. And that the point of this is that we might spur one another on to good works. But see, that's from a right heart motive. That's from a right desire. And only God can work that in. And if God works that in, we got to work it out. Sanctification, to delight in us, to not labor in vain. And then we see the last point of sacrifice. And I'm actually going to hold off. I'm not going to visit that. We'll save that one for next week. I I, I want to read instead uh, a little section here that will help us better understand... This idea of of holding fast the word of God, Um, this idea of 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 holding out the word of God, Uh, this again comes from John Phillips in his commentary on this section of scripture. And and listen to what he says. And this, you know, illustrations break down. Okay, don't be too critical of this illustration, Um, but I think it kind of helps us put a level of application to what we've learned today. Because by the way, guys, you know when we come in here and we study the Word of God, we hear the Word of God preached and taught, we don't want that seed planted and then you go out here and Satan just plucks it away and you never think anything else about it. And that's what happens a lot of times. Other times we'll go out here and then the pressure of the world begins to kind of close in on us and we forget everything we've learned. That's the other way the enemy works. He does not want you to meditate on what you've learned today. Can we battle back? By the grace of God, and this week, let's meditate on the truth of what God has been teaching us. And then let's put that into action and begin to work it out. Listen to what he says. On the pragmatic level, we can liken Paul to a man who has just been appointed district sales representative for a new firm of perfume manufacturers. His income is to be a percentage of his district sales. He can try to drum up business by going out to knock on doors and visit the cosmetic departments of stores by himself. But he will be more successful if he convinces a hundred people to go out selling for him. The more they sell, the higher his wages will be. Paul wanted to be as successful as possible in spreading the gospel. He wanted to persuade people to accept Christ. And he wanted his converts to do the same. And he wanted his converts to teach their converts to spread the gospel. At the judgment seat of Christ, their reward would be his reward. Paul's cup of rejoicing would overflow If those he had won to Christ were to hear the Lord say to them, Well done. Then he would know he had not labored in vain. Church, are we laboring in vain? Are we running our race in vain? You know how we guard against ensuring that we're not? We can come apart from the world. And how they're grumbling and complaining and disputing about everything. And Lord, help us to put our eyes back on you. Help us to be that cluster here in little old LaGrange that shines bright. That loves our neighbor. Loves God. Shares the good news of Jesus Christ in a dark world. And they'll know us because of our love for each other. If there's one thing this pastor's heart desires more than anything is that our love for one another will be genuine. And notice what I didn't say. I didn't say that you're going to like everything about me. And I'm probably not going to like everything about you. But I'm committed to loving you in spite of those things. Because that's the same love Christ displayed on the cross. And guys, that's the kind of thing, the kind of bond that will strengthen this church's testimony. I've got some things that God has been working in my heart and I'm waiting for Pastor Mark to get here before I give you the full reveal because I want him chiming in. I want us to work together on this because he too has a gift of evangelism. But I was encouraged the other day and kind of inspired by a former youth worker who used to work in our youth group in Salisbury and she's just sort of posting her thoughts in, in regards to, wouldn't it be nice if the church begin to love its neighbor again. And, and she had some practical things that, that I, I, I'm like, that's it. that We need to develop this. And, and so just sort of in a way of a teaser and, and, and for prayer purposes, pray for Pastor Mark and I when he gets here that this will develop into God's will being done for our church. But imagine if you would for a second, one of the phases, one of the things that we might could do as a church is to begin to recognize Those neighbors on our street, who's around us? Do we even know their names? Do we know who lives next door? Three houses down, four. Oh, you better believe I do and I can't stand them. Well, then there's where God's going to start. Well, you don't know, preacher. They get them dogs out in my yard. They have killed my cat. uh, You know what? That's a great mission field then. And what we're going to do is we're going to begin to pray for them by name. And then we might even go a step further. We might even show them love and action by maybe taking over some baked goods. Now, if you got some friction, they probably won't eat it, but don't be offended. They're trying to poison us. <laughs> <laughs> I want to find some practical ways, guys, to separate ourselves from a hateful world and let the love of Christ shine without compromise of the truth a lot of churches that have gone the way of social gospel that's not what I'm talking about but for those who've been entrusted with the whole counsel of God you know there is an area we could definitely learn and that is in this area of loving our neighbors so pray for that let's look to the Lord Father thank you for your word it is truth Jesus prayed sanctify them by the truth Lord chip away at us We're we're rough, we're ugly. Uh, We've got major rough edges. But I'm thankful that even when we were enemies, Christ loved us and gave His life up for us. And your desire in that is that through Him and Him and us, we would become the righteousness on display. And we can't do that in our fleshly strength. But as we surrender to You, our hearts, and our will, no doubt uh, that light will shine in us and through us. So Father, help us at Community Baptist Church, a collective heart cry today. This cluster, this small cluster of believers, Lord, we want to shine again. We want to shine brighter than we've ever shined before. Will You work in our heart and put that on display for Your glory? Father, if there be anyone watching online or anyone here today that has never surrendered their heart and life to Jesus Christ, we extend to them, we hold fast, we hold forth the word of life to them. Christ loves you and He died for you. Look to Him today in saving faith. Surrender your life as you know it. Give up your life to Christ and take the life that He offers you. He says that if you come to Him, He will not turn you away. Come to Him today call upon the only name under heaven given amongst men by which to be saved. It's the name of Jesus Christ. Right where you are, right there in your seat, right there at home in front of your computer, would you surrender your heart and look to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, forgive me. I've sinned against you and you alone. Forgive me my sins. And by faith today, I receive you as my payment in full. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. And if you'll put your faith and trust in Him alone, He promises, Whosoever shall call upon the name of God shall be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord today and be saved. Father, thank You for Your saving grace. Thank You for Your truth. Go with us now as we shine in a dark world. In Jesus' name, amen.